Welcome to the podcast, Of Course They Make Me Crazy. It's for those of us who love someone who suffers with a mental illness. You can start to feel lost in their world. I get it. I grew up with a bipolar mom addicted to pain pills. Hoping the story shared here will help you through difficult days. It's not all serious. We laugh and we joke too. If you have little ones around, pop in your headphones and Hey there, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Of course, they make me crazy. I'm April Norris, the host. Uh, we are live on Facebook and we are live on YouTube. So if you're back at home listening to this a little bit later, well, we got you. Okay, so joining me is Justine Carino today, and I'm super excited. Uh, isn't she so cute with her little holiday headband? <laughs> uh, she is a licensed mental health counselor working in Westchester County out of New York. Uh, she also has a great podcast, you guys, called Thoughts from the Couch. You should totally listen to that. Hi, Justine. Hi, April. Thank you so much for having me. I think your podcast is amazing, and I'm just so honored to be a part of it today. Oh, well, thank you. And I think yours is as well. It's got a lot of great info and I love getting your emails um, on tips and tricks for mental health. And that's what we're going to be touching on today. But more specifically, we're going to talk about ways teens and young adults can manage living with a parent who has a mental health illness like bipolar or borderline personality disorder, just to name a few. There's a lot out there. But before we get into that, Justine, really, why did you get into your line of work? Yeah, I think there's probably two different layers to it. The first layer is I've always been really interested in why people do the things that they do, why they act the way they act. And the stories behind their lives and their choices. Everybody has a story. And once we start to learn that story, they make more sense to us, right? Their decisions, the way they interact, what their relationship styles are like, make so much more sense when we get to know their story. Um, So everyone has some kind of story. And I'm so intrigued and interested in that. So I think that was the first part of it. I started feeling that curiosity in high school. I took a psychology 101 class as a senior. I loved it. So in my mind, I was like, I'm going to be a psychiatrist. So I went to college pre-med and quickly dropped out of the pre-med program because it was so scientific. It was so challenging. I cried before every test. I said, you know what? Let me still explore psychology in a different way. And I majored in psychology and went to graduate school um, to become a therapist after that. So I had one route, but it turned to the other. And I've loved it. And I'm very thankful for it. And the other part of it is I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. I also come from a divorced family system. So I I think, you know, looking back also, I struggled with anxiety as a child and as an adult from time to time. So I think there's also some personal layers to the decision to choose this career. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And then then that's, you know, what you're doing is you're helping dysfunctional families essentially come back to each other and say, or feel, you know, we, we actually can live in a, together in somewhat of a peaceful, at least, you know, way. Yeah. And so I think that that speaks volumes and it's yeah. huge. And we need so many of you out there. Thank you. <laughs> so, okay. Well, great. I wondered about that. All right. So regarding the teenagers you treat, what is their biggest struggles? What do they come to you with? 
So the teenagers that I see that are seeking therapy, um, I treat mostly anxiety and depression. I also have a subspecialty in grief. So I support teenagers that lost a mother or a father or a sibling. Um, but also it comes down to family dynamics as well. I do a lot of family therapy. So I'm looking at these unhelpful patterns between parents and teenagers that lead to conflict and kind of get them all in the room and unpack these patterns and understand why they're happening and what we can do to correct them. But when we're talking about a teenager that has a parent with a mental illness, there's another layer to it, right? So they might be dealing with different family dynamics because of their parents' mental illness. So there's two, there's a few things that are really challenging. One is that um, there's a lot of feelings of shame and isolation, embarrassment, um, feelings of disconnection and unrelatability. You know, when you have a parent with a mental illness, you may grow up with that mental illness, not really realizing that your parent was different in any way. And But then there's this moment as a teenager, you start to explore like, wait a minute, this isn't so normal or something's a little off here. And yeah. once you discover that, it's hard to share that with other people as a teenager. You know, as an adolescent, we are so insecure at a baseline. We don't want to be different. Being different is scary for a teenager at that time of development. So when you have a parent who might be different in a mental health perspective, it's hard to admit that and talk about it with your friends or your peer group. So I think there's a lot of shame that leads to isolation, right? When we're embarrassed about something, we don't want to talk about it. And when we don't want to talk about it, we really pull back and we miss out on a lot of opportunity to connect with other people because there are other people out there that can relate and can understand. You know, personally, when I started talking more about being a child of an alcoholic, that's when I built a lot more community and connections um, in my online space. People started to reach out and say, wait a minute, I had no idea and I love that you're talking about this. My dad had this, my mom had this, my partner has this. I love that you're bringing it into the conversation. So I think shame and isolation is a big challenge. Yeah. I think the other part of it is a level of forced independence. Um, when you have a parent that struggles with some type of mental illness or addiction, there's a level of independence that you step into that you didn't ask for, or didn't necessarily want. And you're often stepping into it pretty early, right? Mm -hmm. um, teens resent this. You know, it's funny. Teenagers want independence, but if you give them too much, they crumble. They've kind yeah. of fall apart, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's this middle line of how much independence is appropriate for a teenager. And sometimes they have to take on more if they have a parent with a mental illness. They, they don't think it's fair that they have to do more. And they're right. It isn't fair. Um, but I try and help these teenagers find the positive in this and look at the beauty of their level of resilience, the skills that they've developed at becoming more independent than peers at a young age and how this will help them in their future. Um, part of this is something called the parentified child. So a lot of teenagers that have a parent with a mental illness take on an adult role, right? They're kind of become a caretaker yeah. in some ways. Um, they are the mediator for parents' arguments. They take care of other siblings. They might even take care of the parent at times. And that's something that could be really difficult as well. How do, when someone does come into your office, because, you know, just growing up with the mom that I did, um, 
how do they actually land in your office? You know, because I, she fought going to see someone for a long time until it, you know, was, she had no other choice. I mean, she couldn't really get her medications if she didn't go see someone, but it was not going to see a therapist in our family was always, I think a chore. Um, Mm. And so for somebody that does have a mentally ill parent, how are they actually getting into your office? Is is it through, um, you know, a counselor at school or is it because when you do have a mentally ill parent, a lot of times, you know, they're not, um, not coherent, but they're not, you know, just aware enough to say, Hey, I'm not right. I'm having problems. You know, I probably need to go see somebody, but I'm not because I'm either going to drink or, you know, take medication. So how are they getting in there? Or is it just that, you know, you're, they're getting lucky with having some parents that say, yes, let's all get help. Or is it an outside source that's bringing these, these young adults into your office? I love that question. And I think it's a little bit of everything, you know, I've had some, and I get what you're saying, right? If someone's struggling with their own mental health, it's hard to see beyond themselves. So it's extremely rare that I get a phone call from a parent that's like, hi, I'm struggling with my mental health. I love my child to be supported with it. That has not happened. It ain't happening. And so you said it so perfectly. Yeah, <laughs> That's not exactly happening. what I was trying to say. <laughs> so it usually comes in an indirect route. So oftentimes... And this is kind of for us to think about as adults when we think about teenagers. Teenagers and children will act out their emotions in a very different way than an adult will. So there's usually some kind of precipitating event. Maybe they're not doing well academically. Maybe something happened in the school situation. Maybe they've started dabbling with substances, you know, on the weekends and they're getting caught with that. So they're usually acting out some kind of family problem in their environment where other adults have access to them. So I've gotten um, recommendations from pediatricians, right? So a lot of pediatricians, you know, I'll get a call from a parent. They're like, oh, our pediatrician recommended that my daughter start working with a therapist. She's been you know, experimenting with some substances, her grades aren't going so well, there's a lot of changes. And once I get to know this teenager, I come to find that there is a lot going on at home. And some of it's relating, their acting out behaviors are relating to some kind of issue, whether it's a mom or dad engaged in substances, a sibling, or someone struggling with their mental health, a parent's depressed, a parent has bipolar disorder, whatever it is. So pediatricians are helpful that way. Also, school counselors, as you mentioned, Um, I get a lot of referrals. Again, parents calling saying, hey, the school had a meeting with me today and they're recommending that my child speak to a therapist outside of school. And so it's usually coming from an outside source. I do have to say, though, I've had some really awesome, brave teenagers find me on their own and they don't call me on their own, but they kind of sought me out. They they found me on a Google search and they kind of went to my Instagram and they felt like I was relatable and then they present me to their parent. And that's actually happened a few times where parents called me like, hey, my daughter or son found you. They want to start working with you. I'm not so sure why, but I'm going to support this. So you're right. It's not directly the parent having this insight, but parents I find are very supportive of their child getting some kind of help. Yeah. Thank God for that, right? So, yeah. you know, when they do open up, 
Um, what are they saying to you and, and how, how are you guiding them? And, you know, what are some of the suggestions you can give to a teen, you know, especially, you know, now since Christmas is just a couple of days away, you know, when it comes to, and I did a podcast on this just before, just a couple of weeks ago or a week ago about how, you know, the holidays can trigger people that have, a, you know, a mental illness. Uh, I know it did, yeah. you know, with my mom and she became like manic and then, you know, mm-hmm. didn't sleep for days anticipating all of us coming. And then she would crash when we all got there. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know that they're probably, uh, you know, walking on eggshells a little bit around this time, but what are some of the things that you suggest? I mean, I know looking back at my life, I thought, Oh, I'm going to, hang out more with my girlfriends and their moms because I feel better when I'm around them, you know? And so that was kind of my outlet was using other moms as just a, as an outlet for, for me to go, go do things when she wasn't feeling, when she wasn't feeling well, you know, I mean, I had my good days with her too, of course, but um, so what are you telling kids to do or how, what are some things that you can give them to, you know, maybe their little minds. Yeah, definitely. So it's a big task and it's a big challenge, but there are, there are definitely um, things that I do with many of my clients that are struggling with this. I think the biggest take home is acceptance um, and accepting your parents' illness. You don't have to like it. You're not going to like it. You're not Mm. going to agree with it. You're really going to feel like it's unfair but acceptance helps ease suffering um, and acceptance lets you now deal with it, right? You've now accepted this is the way my mom is or this is the way my dad is and I have to now react to this in a way that makes me feel okay or me feel good. And I think also acceptance helps people let go. And I think a lot of teenagers feel like they can control their parents' mental illness, and they can't. Um, And sometimes they feel this level of responsibility. Did I cause it? Was I part of this? Um, How do I relate to this? How does this, how do I impact it? And so they might take on some codependent behaviors. They might enable the parents' behaviors. They might feel responsible for their parents' actions and decision-making and give up their own needs at times to take care of the parents' needs. And that's not healthy. Um, So we really kind of unpack the dynamic between the teenager and their parent and see where they can pull back and give up some control, right? You know, in the past, I've had clients that um, did excessive checking in, right? Like, and if they didn't hear from the parent, their anxiety was through the roof. And Mm -hmm. in the worst case scenario, is the parent drinking? Is the parent suicidal? Is the parent this, that, the other? So their anxiety was so parallel to the communication with the parent, right? And once we found out new strategies of communication, it helped, you know, that that teenager feel a little bit better and realize there's nothing, I, no matter how many times I check in with this parent, I cannot control what they're doing. I cannot take responsibility for what they're doing. So letting go of control is huge. Acceptance is part of that. Um, I also think it's important, and you touched on this is developing connections with other adults in their life. And I love how you mentioned it was other moms, like other friends, mothers, 
And part of that could also be aunts or uncles. It could be grandparents. It could be um, cousins. It could be teachers. It could be coaches. It could be whatever adult figure that is positive that you can develop a relationship with can really help. It could even be a step parent. You know, it could really help feel like there's a role model. There's someone to guide me. There's someone I could look to. Um, Because for teenagers with a parent with a mental illness, they can feel really angry about it and feel like I'm missing out on something. But you could also gain a lot of other relationships that are really positive. So that's another one. I Um, I think friendships are important. You know, you want to find people in your peer group that truly get you and understand you. This is a rough path as a teenager. It's really hard to find the right people. If you want to find the people you could be authentic and genuine with, that's important. And you want to make plans. You want to socialize. You want to get your mind out of your worries at times. Um, You also want to get involved in interests. Pursue your interests. Try everything out. Maybe immerse yourself in theater or sports or running or exercising. Whatever it is, utilize that as a positive way So just let your thoughts flow through you. You're not in the home environment. You're detaching temporarily in the interest. And that could be so helpful for your self-esteem. And a few more. Um, Learn coping skills to manage your own emotions, right? So you might have a parent that's struggling with their emotions, and they may not know how to regulate their own emotions. Therefore, they can't model to you the right way of doing it. They might struggle to do that. So you really want to get to know what what do you need when you're feeling anxious? What do you need when you're feeling depressed? Do you need to practice meditating? Do you need to practice deep breathing? What are your biggest coping mechanisms? And I last, think it's, it's probably video games and um, and eating. <laughs> and that <laughs> but, yeah, that's so not okay. that's not what you're talking about. But, <laughs> but that, that might be for- it for a lot. Yeah, totally. And one of those coping mechanisms are if they let you detach and unwind for a little, that's helpful. And lastly, I think boundary setting is important, right? Learning how to say no and how that can look like in your family. It is really hard to set boundaries with parents. And that takes a lot of work. That usually is with support of a therapist, right? You might need an adult that's in a position to help you set those boundaries. Um, But boundary setting is, I think, really huge when you struggle, when you have a parent that's struggling with mental illness or addiction or both. Yeah, Yeah. I love all of those. And I think they're, you know, if if a a teen is listening, maybe it will put them into, you know, a different mindset. I love the acceptance because I think, too, when you do accept it, it does free you. Um, And you know, at least it did, it, at least it did with me. So God knows I'm no young teen anymore, but <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> you so, remember when you found the acceptance? Was it like a journey to acceptance or did it happen at a young age for you? You know, um, I think it happened at a young age. I think I was seven years old and I knew that this probably wasn't the way things should be. Um, However, I would go up and down with the acceptance in regards to, I would get resentful and then I would go back to acceptance. And then, you know what I mean? So, and I think teenagers and young adults will probably find themselves doing that too, where they're going to bebop, you know, back and forth. Um, 
just depends on the circumstances, I think, don't you, Justine, and what they're dealing with at that moment? 100%. And I think it's also kind of paralleled to somebody's life cycle, right? Acceptance might look one way as a child and then get triggered again in the teen years, right? Not having a parent there for big events because of their illness. Um, maybe they messed up with prom. Maybe they messed up with your graduation. Maybe they didn't really know how to parent a teenager. It was too difficult. They put their hands up, right? And then you reach young adult phase. You know, you're you're out of high school and now you're in this young adult phase. That life cycle change might be triggering for a teenager. Maybe they're more resentful. Maybe that's also a point we get really in touch with when our family was dysfunctional and we start to really learn like, oh, that wasn't a really good way of handling things. And you start to get angrier typically as a young adult because there's a little bit of a separation and you're learning, wait a minute, I'm mad at my childhood now. I'm mad at how things were. And then you merge into adulthood and you're a little bit more accepting again. Mm -hmm. So it really can change through the life cycle. And then maybe if someone becomes a parent themselves, eventually certain feelings are triggered. So it's a lifelong journey of wavering between acceptance and boundaries and letting go of control. And there can be certain life events that trigger reactions in you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that this was very helpful and I'm so happy to have you on. So I Thank appreciate you. that. And then, so if someone does want to reach out to you, how do they find you? That's a great question. So everything can be found on my website. I'm carinocounseling.com. I'm also on Instagram at Thoughts from the Couch. And I'm licensed to treat anyone that is a resident of New York State. I could do individual virtual sessions and virtual family sessions or in person. Um, and I'm also creating an online course to help people manage anxiety. So with my licensure, I'm only in New York. I can't practice outside of the state. But people can access me through my podcast, through my Instagram account, and this course that will be coming out in early 2022. Yeah, didn't you have a course uh, for young adults? Was that wasn't that you? Um, did you? I'm, I'm coming. I've been building it, so it should finally be out here. Um, I'm hoping February, fingers crossed, if I get it all together by then. So it's okay. you know it's directed towards people who are struggling with anxiety, and they're going to be simple tips and tricks on how to manage that on a daily basis. Wonderful. Okay. Maybe I saw that you were working on it and, you know, kind of stuck in my mind. So yeah. thank you, Justine. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a happy holiday. You too. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you prompted this conversation. It's so important. I think so too. Hey there, thank you so much for listening. And if you like this, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, I've included a link in the show notes to resourceful books on caring for someone with bipolar. Let's build a community. We cannot maneuver this crazy life alone. You can also follow on Instagram at Of Course They Make Me Crazy. <laughs>